The Confluence Story Gathering Podcast is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Find us at confluenceproject.org. But now that we have grandkids, they are growing up always being able to come out there every spring and engage with the site, engage with the camas, to learn how to dig the camas. They've never known a time that that wasn't part of their lives. Hello and welcome to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River System. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. On today's program, we're going to take a look inward, specifically at Confluence's education programming in schools. Back in 2007, what we now call Confluence in the Classroom and Outdoors began with a simple idea. Warm Springs artist Lillian Pitt wanted to work on art projects with students as a way of introducing them to Columbia River indigenous cultures. Over the years, the program has expanded to include field trips and artists of all kinds, including muralists, storytellers, poets, weavers, and others from many Northwest tribes. My name is Heather Gurko. My Finget name is Shahak A. Uh, I am a enrolled tribal citizen of the Central Council of Tlingit Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. My mother was Tlingit and my father was Dutch. I'm the education program manager here at Confluence. Relationships are at the core of everything because when we're in better relationship with ourself, relationship with other human beings, relationship with our history and with our environment, we're more equipped to have a respectful and reciprocal connection with each other. And that ties into reciprocity, which we'll learn a little bit about as we're talking with Emma Johnson and Clifton and Christine Bruno. Today, we're going to talk with three of those educators about what they do with students and why. Emma Johnson is a Cowlitz tribal member and recently earned her Master's of Science in Cultural Anthropology from Portland State University. Her interests include tribal food sovereignty and traditional ecological and cultural knowledge. My name is Emma Johnson. I'm a college tribal member, and I currently work at Portland State University in our Indigenous Nation Studies Department. We'll also hear from Christine and Clifton Bruno, who have been sharing Indigenous cultures from the Pacific Northwest in schools for more than 25 years. Clifton is a member of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, and Christine is Comanche, Basque, and Irish. The two of them work with schools, parks, land restoration projects, and nonprofit organizations like Confluence and the Native Gathering Garden at Cully Park in Portland. Hello, my name is Clifton Bruno. I'm Wasco from up the Columbia River, and they relocated my tribe to the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, and this is. Hi, my name is Christine Bruno, and uh, my heritage is Basque, Comanche, and Irish, but I married this fish Indian guy a long time ago, and so now I'm a Comanche that bakes salmon. I am the first person in my family to be born in what we call Oregon. Next, we're going to hear more from Heather Gurko, Confluence's education manager. 
So relationships are a part of all of our education programming and really provide a through line through every piece of uh, education that we provide. The relationships really drive the continuation and understanding of the importance of indigenous knowledge systems and alignment with tribal education goals in Oregon and Washington. But that reciprocity is a part of indigenous knowledge systems. And I hope that's a part of what you all want to explore in your lives. Because what we're doing in education is providing that broader perspective of history, but also it's a call to action. How are we changing the narrative and how are we lifting indigenous voices in spaces and places where they've been historically erased or altered or changed? We're not looking to shame people who are not native. We're not looking to make a space where they feel uncomfortable. We're looking to provide opportunity for them to form true relationships with indigenous voices. And that's one of the unique things about our program. And I'm grateful to be able to work with amazing native educators and artists, as well as our other field trip um, connections that we have. I really enjoy how uh, educators respond to you. And I think it's because you do bring that approach of the relationship first and that reciprocal respect. Would, would you talk a little bit about I guess, reciprocity too, within maybe your plant relationships, but also the education you do. You talked about PSU a few moments ago too, and your teaching. What 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 part does reciprocity play in what you do, uh, I guess, in your life? And now, Emma Johnson. Reciprocity is one of my favorite words. And what's funny about that is that Camus the traditional food that I mentioned I got to introduce to some students this past spring has been my plant relative that has consecutively showed up for me and connected me to like all kinds of different people and places and opportunities, which is might be funny for somebody to hear about a plant, but that's what they do. And so she is a part of the Tend to Gather and Grow curriculum. And that curriculum has a sister curriculum called Plant Teachings for Growing Social Emotional Skills. And in that sister curriculum, there's a bunch of different plant relatives that are associated with a term for social emotional learning. And Camus's term in that curriculum is reciprocity. And I was connected to Camus before I was connected to this curriculum. And so when I was able to hear that Camus was associated with that term, I was like, Oh my goodness, how wonderful. Because she provides to me and I in turn do what I can to tend and teach about her. And so because of that, I feel like reciprocity is pretty much present in everything that I do with plants. And reciprocity is a big word, especially for youth. And basically the way that I explain it is that it's you caring for somebody or something that's caring for you. It's like a circle of care. And so if we provide this care for the plant relatives by teaching about them and honoring them, they are receiving the care back that they always give to us without a doubt, right? They're consecutively always caring for us, even with the harm that much of the Western world provides them. Um, And so it's important for us to step up and enter that circle of care with them because they really need that from us. And I think it's really important to introduce that in the classroom because like a lot of youth will have experience, like maybe having a house plant or having like a raised bed or having a family member that 
grows basil on their windowsill or something. And so they have an understanding of caring for something that's alive in plant form. And then I'm like, yeah, and what do those plants like do for your family member or do for you? Like, do you consume them as food? Do they make you happy when they bloom? Do they care for the pollinators in the backyard? Do they put nitrogen in the soil? Like there's all kinds of things that they do for us to support like us as individuals, but then also to support our surrounding ecosystems. And so reciprocity like in itself is just a really good teacher, but I think it makes anybody who's learning about the term visualize things differently. And I think that when you're trying to teach people about place-based education and the lands, that you're really trying to shift a lot of their perspective. And so anything that will help them visualize things differently and gain a better understanding is beneficial. Yeah. And so like the same thing with the word mutualism or like interconnectedness, those are both also really good words that are super helpful when talking about plant relatives and our connections to them. Yeah. And so I think that the lovely Robin Wall Kimmerer in Braiding Sweetgrass and braiding sweetgrass says words create worlds i think and that is like so true and so when we can use our words to help with our teachings i think it's really powerful and here's clifton bruno One thing I want to mention, looking at uh, educational style, the schools are more of an institutional. And what we do is more like what my ancestors would be doing, a community-based education. Because it's everybody's learning and everybody's teaching. And like going out to Quamish Prairie, we were always, especially there, we're always taking people out from babies all the way up to senior citizens. And like sometimes we've had some senior citizens out there actually spark their memory and say, oh yeah, I remember when I was. And it brings that memory back, brings that knowledge back to the front. Now we hear from Christine Bruno. And then at sites such as Quamish Prairie in our presentations or for on-site, we show the work that we do in caring for the site and the effort to do that without using any chemicals. And there's some different experimental ways we've been doing our different, we call it tending tending the land and tending the plants out there and encouraging things such as having a controlled burn, just like was done traditionally on site. I think the difference is when we get involved, and I say we as the broader indigenous peoples and community, not just we as as the two of us, we're, we're in it for forever. You know, it's a long-term thing. It's not like I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to clean up garbage or maybe plant some plants this one time. And that's the only time I'm doing this with this place. But we're in for for generationally. 
Kwamish Parish site, one thing that is really important to us about that site is we started that work long before we had grandkids. But now that we have grandkids, they are growing up always being able to come out there every spring and engage with the site, engage with the camas, to learn how to dig the camas, you know, every, every year. And they will never, you know, they've never known a time that that wasn't part of their lives. And that's kind of the difference is there's many kids, especially those growing up in urban areas that used to very rarely get to do anything like that. And we're, we're changing that. So reciprocity isn't really a give and take. It's how are we in relationship with each other. And I think your work with Confluence and a, the community at large really exemplifies that reciprocity. And I think the experiences that you're sharing with your family is a piece of that, that people aren't familiar with. But I wanted to be able to say that here. Our um, oldest granddaughter, uh, Atea has uh, she's just turned seven and she has done some field trips with us a few times and she you know she's you can see she's soaking up the knowledge now her not only her father our son knows these things but this is also in the career of her mother who works as a native educator in another program focusing on indigenous plants and nature and so forth. And so, you know, she's been on site many times uh, with field trips. And it's, it's amazing the things that she knows. Um, when she was about four years old, we had a group of preschoolers coming out to a natural area that her, uh, it was, uh, and her mom was the lead teacher and um, I was assisting. I can't remember if Clifton was there when we did the ladybug walk. No, no he wasn't there. Uh, but Atea was there. And she you know, was just barely older than these other kids. And we'd always do a walk through the site beforehand, making sure there's no safety issues, you know, around that we need to deal with first. And as doing the safety walk, um, she sees in the grass a, a dead western scrub jay and you know we talked about it and she'd already learned about decomposition and how this is natural and then what happens you know next with uh, a dead body and she's so the the other kids with their uh, parents or other guardians that were with them on this nature walk arrived and right off the bat, she insists that we take them all over to see dead bird. And uh, it went actually pretty well. She's like showing them like, this is, this bird died, it's decomposing. You know, she's a little four-year-old saying decomposing to the kids and the adults. And, you know, we weren't sure, you know, I mean, I'm sure when, when these people signed up for this little nature walk, they weren't planning on looking at a dead bird, but you know, there you go, it's part of nature, it happens, you know. Um, so, <laughs> and she had no qualms about it. She thought it was very fascinating and it got all the kids over there looking at the dead bird and 
the adults had to come with them because where the little kids go, their adults have to follow them. So I thought it was, uh, and no one could say no to that cute little girl. You know, I mean, how could they complain about it? Yet they all got to learn something. And uh, so that was pretty cool. You're listening to Confluence Radio, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River System. So when we talk about reciprocity, we're able to look at how we relate with each other how we relate with the planet, how we relate with history. And we're more equipped to be in relationship with each other. And we do that through all of our education programming and encourage educators, especially to dive deeper as they're aligning with tribal education goals in Oregon and Washington. I'm fortunate to work alongside amazing native educators and artists, as well as two amazing professional development facilitators. Those facilitators work hand in hand with all of our programming at Confluence to lift indigenous voices and provide space for educators to continue to grow. So we work with Daria Martin-Bigham, who is Yavapai Apache and Talawa Dene, as well as Louise Wilmes, who is Otomozura and Hawaiian. So we work to lift up tribal voices through their tribal education programming and recognizing that their voices are at the center of everything we do. As well as we lift up ODE in Oregon and OSPI in Washington State and the curriculum they've created alongside the tribes, we recognize that we aren't providers of those curriculum, but what we are providing is continued opportunity for growth relationship for educators so they feel more comfortable in lifting up lessons that they haven't learned themselves in their education. Many times educators come to us and share that they're scared to teach these lessons because they learned a different version of history. So part of our professional development and part of our learning community is just providing space for those educators to feel more comfortable, to learn from each other, from their peers, and the successes that they're having and the challenges that that they're facing. And we continue to bring in native educators and artists throughout the learning community and professional development to help them see how they can shift what they're doing in classrooms. I think about the experience of students or youth and teachers, and they aren't necessarily dissimilar. There's an opportunity to learn and grow and hear from wherever we are in our lives and and take that to whatever's next. And I think when we're talking about educators, um, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have funding to provide professional development and cohort models and, and build up skills and um, point to resources and help native and non-native educators really connect to the importance of relationships. 
And we talked a lot about relationships to our plant relatives. And I know that in some of the work we've done with you, you've shared that you also have some storytelling or some knowledge that you share around um, the callous people's relationship to Mount St. Helens. And so when you talk about relationship to our plant relatives and maybe then in another classroom or another set setting, talk about relationship to Mount St. Helens, how is that different and how is that similar? Is there reciprocity involved? Is there interconnectedness involved? And how can that help an educator understand this either or thinking isn't necessarily a part of indig indigenous knowledge systems? And now, Emma Johnson. I, um, when I talk about Mount St. Helens, whose traditional name is Lawatlatla, um, there's a lot of, like, my personal journey embedded in her as a important cultural being in the Khalid's, like, tribe and heritage. Um, and then there's also a very similar connection to plants because she's a part of our landscape, just like plants are. And some of my favorite plants even grow up there with her. And she is a powerful changer of the landscape through her eruptions. Um, and so it's almost like the ability of her changes to change our landscape and what like, like Lupin being one of the first plants to come back and so many shifts in the way that our streams up there were moving and um, the changes to like the plant and animal life up there. Right. Um, and so it's like, she's this incredible force um, who has a lot of influence on plants, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and humans and everybody else, cause she's a volcano. Um, but I think that when I teach about her, I don't, feel any different than teaching about plants but my perspective at times may shift because my connection to her versus plants can be different and I think that when you're talking about an active volcano in the landscape um there can be a lot more power to connect people than plants even though plants are just as worthy um, but people are more interested in the mountain because she erupted so recently and has been so well studied and brings so many people to the Washington state. Um, and because she's a traditional cultural property for the Cowlitz and Yakima tribes, um, that's also super interesting for folks to get to learn about. And what that essentially means is that we as tribal entities have more power in discussing things that happen up and around the mountain area um because it like disturbs this her as a site and we want to make sure that she's respected and taken care of because she's such an important site to us um and continues to be and will always be um and so definitely different like teaching points at times but also very similar things for like just rec recognizing that um she has like agency like plants do um and understanding that like yeah she's a volcano and her calyps name also means from one which smoke comes 
Um, so like the interconnectedness is right there. Right. Um, and I think that like understanding that since time immemorial folks have gone up in that area to collect things like mountain goat wool and they'll stumble upon huckleberries and see different plant friends too. And so her landscape is so connected to plants that you can't talk about her without talking about them really. Um, and I think that that's really important because we oftentimes will like hone in on one thing and then leave out really important parts of that because we don't have the time or we didn't have enough support to figure out how to properly address the rest of those things. And the holistic approach is really important when talking about the landscape and all of the beings that exist there. I feel like I'm a person that often tries to like be present in the moment of their existence. Um, and oftentimes when I'm trying to make sure I'm practicing that, I like go over like what I get to be a part of and um, how lucky a person can be in those things. And I'm always like, oh my gosh, like this is where I am and this is who I get to work with. And I get to do this tomorrow. And um, I feel like I try to practice a lot of like that gratitude that comes from things like reciprocity um, and my connection to Confluence and what Confluence does brings a lot of gratitude to my life. Um, and that is because of the good work that I see the entity do in the community and the surrounding communities as well. And I think that um, like the power of being able to be like a change maker nonprofit in a space of tribal communities is like the thing right now. Um, because it's not, it's not easy to do. It's very hard work. Um, and it's not always, um, super happy moments, right? There's sometimes there's like, oh my gosh, uh, this is a lot. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> I have my own things going on and all of this is happening. And that happens within basically any entity that you're going to be in, but working with tribal folks and communities um, comes along with many different things. And that also includes a lot of like rewarding moments. And I think that that's why we all do it. And like the, the uphill climb is worth those moments of us like getting to be together. You've been listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River System. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. On today's program, we heard from Confluence educators Emma Johnson and Christine and Clifton Bruno. Thanks to them for all the work they do. To find out more about our education programs and our five completed art sites along the Columbia River System, check out confluenceproject.org. Remember, we can only do this important work because of the Friends of Confluence, and that's you. Join us today at confluenceproject.org. Thanks for listening to Confluence. Confluence.